0: Well, good morning, and thanks for being here with us this morning for worship. Josh and I both were gone last Sunday. I had the chance to preach down at Redeemer Bible Church in Minnetonka, and Aaron White was here from Redeemer, so we did the old switcheroo. But it really is true, the saying that says, there's no place like home, and I missed being here. So it's good to be back together, good to be uh, singing with you and hearing the word together. It really is a blessing. I don't take that for granted. Today, uh, Josh alluded to this, is the second week in a four-week series on suffering and the Christian life. And last week, Aaron started this series by talking about God's purpose in human suffering, that it is to refine our faith and to give us confidence in God and in His Word and also to build into us the kind of experiences that will help us be a comfort to others As they are going through difficulty and trial in their life. Now this Sunday, this morning, we are going to look at what it means to suffer for Christ. Next week we're going to look at what it means to suffer with Christ. And then on the 29th, the last Sunday of the month, we come to the pinnacle, the climax of the series. Where we will see what awaits the Christian on the other side of suffering. In a message entitled, From Suffering to Glory. And I am eager to get there, but we have to go through the process first. Now, the whole point of this series, the whole motivation behind it and behind doing it right now in this moment, is that I want us as a church to be ready, to be prepared. Now, I don't have some kind of insight into the future that you don't have, but if you just use your mind and use the intellect that God gave to us, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to see that life as we know it is currently changing and likely will change in the future. And regardless of what form that takes, as your pastor, I want you to be grounded and established in the Word of God. I would not be a faithful shepherd to you if I only talked about certain aspects of the Bible or the Christian life and neglected what the Bible says about reality. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that Paul says in Romans 8 has been subjected to futility. And not just people, image bearers, God's Crown his creation but all of the world around us everything you see outside everything that you interact with every material thing has been subjected to this futility and as a result of that we deal almost constantly with pain and suffering in some form or another Varied spectrums, right? We don't all go through the same thing at the same time. But the point of looking at what the Bible says about this is that if I only ever told you that life is great as a Christian, or there's joy to be had in God, or God can fix all of your problems, those are important things to know. But if that's all you hear from me, and I neglect the reality that life is hard, and that there are things that we go through with no human explanation. I'm not being a faithful pastor. So, I want to prepare you and me. I don't have this all figured out. But I want to be the kind of Christian that is not knocked on my back every time something happens. I want to be grounded and rooted. And that's the point of looking at these kinds of texts. So that we can be established as a people. And be able to stand firm and help others as we go through this. You know, often in the New Testament, actually the whole of the Bible, there's this imagery used for shepherds and flock, and what a shepherd does to lead his flock, and what the flock does in response to that. And we get to the New Testament, and we see that pastors are called shepherds, the one who tend and care for the flock, and the church is called this flock of God. Now... If a shepherd is going to take his flock on a journey, if he's going to better grazing ground or they need clean water or whatever, before that journey, he will fatten up the flock a little bit. He'll make sure they have what they need to make it through that journey and get to their destination. That's what faithful shepherding looks like with sheep. See what I'm getting at here? I want you to make it through this journey to glory. And part of that means we have to have preparation. Nobody just gets in their car and drives on, and without a plan. If you do that, you need help. I'm just kidding. That's fine. But you get what I'm saying? We need preparation. So that's the impulse behind this. If you're wondering, why are we taking a whole month to talk about this? Because we need it. Because the world is a place that is totally tainted with sin. And we need to know how to respond when we interact with that. So that's what's going on. Today we're going to look at three passages, all found in the book of 2 Timothy, the just pervasive theme through this letter of Paul's, and so you can open there now, we're not going to get there quite yet, but we're going to look at three different passages that show us not only the example of Paul's suffering for the sake of the gospel and for Christ, but also his instruction to Timothy about how he should suffer as a Christian for the sake of the gospel. And then we'll close by giving three applications for how you and I can put these kinds of texts into practice. It's very likely that most of us will probably not suffer in the same way that Paul and Timothy did. Not exactly. But there are invaluable lessons and there is tremendous help to be found in studying these kinds of passages, regardless of how we end up applying that in each of our individual lives. So that's where we're going this morning, but before we read together, let's pause and ask for the Lord's blessing on our time. Father in heaven, I praise your name and I thank you that your word does not shy away from the difficult, painful topic of suffering and pain and loss and confusion, but you deal with it through your word, and you offer us instruction that is for our good and is for our strengthening. So God, many hearts in this room this morning, and we are all at various places of our understanding of this thing, of our experience of suffering, and yet you are able by your spirit and through your word to meet every one of us here. And so I ask that you would do it. Give faithfulness to me as we preach these texts and give faithfulness to my brothers and sisters who are hearing this, that we would not just hear it as the word of man, but we would hear it as the word of God and that you would give us strength to apply these things in ways that are helpful, in ways that will prepare us to suffer well when the call comes. So God, come and do this work. Open our understanding by the power of your Spirit so that we leave here better equipped to live out the Christian life. And I pray these things now in Christ's name. Amen. So the title of the message is Suffering for Christ. And what do I mean when I say we're going to talk about suffering for Christ? What I mean when I say suffering for Christ is the inevitable consequences of living a life of biblical faithfulness to the Word of God. What is going to happen if you and I stand on godly convictions, if we take what the Bible tells us and we actually believe it, live it, talk about it, there will be consequences to that kind of living. So when I say suffering for Christ, I mean what happens when we live in biblical Faithfulness to the word of God. So let's start with our first passage. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy 1 and follow along. I'm going to read verses 7 through 12, roughly. 2 Timothy 1, starting in verse 7. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle. And teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted or committed to me. Now you'll notice in this passage that we have both Paul's example. As he tells Timothy, this is how I have suffered for the sake of the gospel and we have instruction that here is what you are to do as you preach the gospel, as you establish churches. This is his example. Look at verse 11 again. The He's talking about the gospel and the gospel of Christ and he says, this is why I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher which is why I suffer as I do. So Paul equates the suffering that he experiences to his faithful proclamation and living out of the gospel. You see that connection there as he says that in verse 11? Paul, in all of his writings, actually, makes this connection between faithful preaching of the word and dealing with the consequences, which he calls suffering or bearing up under trial. As he carries out the call that God gave him in faithfulness to preach the gospel, Paul always, I think I can say always, it was very rare that he did not face some kind of opposition on account of his preaching. He nearly always faced persecution and hardship because of his faithfulness to the word of God. Now, as we look at the biblical examples of people who have suffered for the gospel, and in church history. Those examples do not include people who make poor decisions and unwise choices and then bear the consequence of that foolishness and say, oh, I'm suffering for the gospel. No, you're suffering because you made a dumb decision. Do you see the difference? So suffering for Christ does not include, well, I made a huge mistake and now I'm dealing with the consequences. Oh no, this is persecution. That's not it. Suffering for Christ is a direct result of our faithful obedience to and living out of the gospel. Does that make sense? I think Peter sums this up really clearly in 1 Peter chapter 4. You can flip over or just listen. 1 Peter 4 verse 12. He says, beloved, don't be surprised. At the fiery trial, when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, so that's that's suffering for Christ, right? If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, or a meddler, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying if you get yourself into hot water because you did not use godly wisdom, you made selfish choices, and now all of a sudden you find yourself dealing with those choices, you can't cry wolf and say, oh, I'm being persecuted. Peter says that's not suffering as a Christian, that's just Dealing with natural consequences. But if you suffer for the cause of Christ, he says there's honor in that. There is glory in that. And God looks on that and is pleased as we honor him and we go through these things. So Paul, back to 2 Timothy 1 now. Gives examples of his own life that he is and he has suffered for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in addition to this example, how he says, this is what I have done, he also gives instruction to Timothy for what he ought to be doing. Look at verse 8 of chapter 1. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering. Participate in this. By the power of God. When Paul commends Timothy, when, when he, this is actually the, the, the force of this is an imperative, it's a command. Share in this, do it. What is he commanding him to do exactly? When he says, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, what is he saying? Is he telling Timothy, that he should, on purpose, interject himself into situations that are really dangerous, really risky, on purpose, just so that he can say, oh, I'm suffering for Christ. No, I don't think that might be an experience that Timothy has as a result of his faithfulness to God. But Paul is not saying you should purposefully do things just so that you can get here. Here's what he's saying. I think we get the hint in the first part of verse 8. When he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. You get what's going on? So Paul is saying, Timothy, as you have opportunity to speak up for the cause of Christ, as you have opportunity to teach others, to show them what it means to be a faithful Christian, don't back off of that. Don't be ashamed. You will suffer for that. But you are to share in that suffering as a good soldier of Christ, as we're going to see in the next passage. So there's this boldness that Paul has and that he expects Timothy to have. Now, David references in the exhortation, but Paul had left Timothy in Ephesus to do the same thing he left Titus to do, to establish churches, to establish church leadership, to teach them what it meant to live a Christian life with all of these people coming in out of pagan experiences and idol worship and all kinds of stuff. Paul left him there to say, "You need to be faithful to the word of God, and when you are, when you live out those biblical, godly convictions, you will participate in suffering. So don't back off. And if Paul were speaking to us, he might say something like, when you have the opportunity in your meeting to voice your concern about the policies and the direction that your company is headed. Speak up. Don't be ashamed. When you're with your group of friends and you're concerned that you're going to get isolated if you have a different opinion, speak up. Don't be ashamed of Christ. When you gather together with your family and the religion discussion comes up and you don't want to offend anybody because they're Catholic or they're atheist or they're whatever, don't be ashamed of the word of God. Or the testimony of Christ. But boldly proclaim that. And you know what? When you do, you will suffer. But God is there with you. But that's next week's sermon. So I can't preach that yet. But do you see what it's saying? Do this. Don't back off. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this. Timothy, you don't be ashamed of this either. But know that when you do, you will deal with the consequences of biblical faithfulness. That's what he's getting at. Let's keep looking. 2 Timothy, turn the page now to chapter 2, or look over to chapter 2, and follow along as I read verses 1 through 10. I might skip a couple in the middle, but start at verse 1. 2 Timothy 2, start in verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, in trust faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Go down to verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound. With chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Same thing going on in this section, right? With Paul's example this is why I'm suffering. And then he tells Timothy explicitly, You do the same thing, you share in the suffering for the gospel. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David, preached in my gospel for which I am suffering. Okay, you can't read this any other way than to see that Paul is only suffering because of the testimony of Jesus. And the reason that he phrases it like this is because God had given him such boldness to preach the gospel that almost everywhere he went, he got himself into trouble. He was always having these skirmishes with religious leaders or with uh, people who he was disrupting their life with these teachings of Christ and him crucified and foolishness to everybody, but he was bold. If Paul didn't have the faith that God gave him, if he didn't have the boldness to preach as he did, he wouldn't have been in trouble all the time, but he had it. He had this boldness, to proclaim the gospel. And the trials and the persecutions that Paul faced were only the result of faithfulness to Christ, not the result of some sort of hidden sin or misconduct on Paul's part. If we read some of the other letters of Paul, we see him hint at this idea that there are other people who look at Paul's ministry and assume there's something fishy going on. They kind of think that Paul must be some sort of criminal because no one's getting arrested for preaching. Philippians chapter 1, I noted this verse, 115. Paul says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, these would be the ones in envy and rivalry, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, seeking to afflict me in my imprisonment. There were people, just like Paul, genuinely loved the Lord, genuinely converted, preaching the gospel, but because they didn't have maybe the same level of, I think Paul was really mouthy. I mean, this is kind of what I read between the lines. I don't think he held back at all in his proclamation of the gospel. And as he does this, this boldness that he has, this not ashamed nature of his preaching, he is not afraid to challenge the religious leaders. He is not afraid to cast a demon out of a slave girl and ruin the fortune-telling industry in Philippi. You remember that story from the book of Acts? He's not afraid to stand before Agrippa and call out his sin and tell him that there's hope only in Christ. And because of this boldness in his preaching, he is always Facing some sort of legal ramification. So these other preachers look at that and they go, Well, we're not getting thrown in jail for preaching. Something else must be going on with Paul. He must really be like swindling people out of money or or something like that. That's why he's suffering. Because they couldn't fathom being locked up for the way they preached. But Paul suffers not because he is a criminal. Not because he is doing something underhanded or crooked in his ministry, but because he is faithful to the word of God. And that's the same thing that he's commending to Timothy. Verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. This is another way to tell Timothy, if you live in faithful obedience to the word of God, there are going to be consequences. You are going to deal with ramifications, results of that kind of living. And he goes on with this military language and he says that it is the responsibility or the duty of a soldier to please the one who is enlisted to him. So what that means is that it's not the soldier's responsibility to come up with orders. It's the soldier's responsibility to obey orders, no matter the outcome. And Paul uses this imagery to help Timothy understand, this is why you've been enlisted. This is why you are here. Now, as a good soldier, share in this. Participate in this kind of suffering. The unique thing about suffering for Christ is that when we do, and this is why Paul uses the word share in suffering, is that we are imitating the author of our faith. We are doing what Jesus did. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Jesus is under no illusion. And he doesn't skirt the issue. He doesn't go around this with his disciples and only tell them the good news about how they'll have power and they'll do all these things, but he also tells them, it's going to be really hard for you. If you live in faithfulness to my word, if you follow my instructions, the world is not going to put up with that. So Jesus is just really clear. And I think there's a great amount of comfort for us as we come to understand that our suffering, our going through circumstances for the cause of Christ and for the cause of his gospel, is a participation in what Christ did. But we're going to get more to that next week. I keep getting ahead of myself. Someone needs to rein me in. Okay, let's look at the last text for this morning. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and start at verse 10. And now listen again for how Paul describes his own experience of suffering and also tells Timothy what he can expect when he suffers for the gospel. 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 10. You, however... "...have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse." deceiving and being deceived. Now verse 12 pretty much sums up what I want you to hear this morning. This is the thesis statement that if as Christians we desire to and work towards living a life of biblical faithfulness in the power of God's Spirit according to God's Word we will deal with in some way the consequences of that decision. That's exactly what Paul is saying, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not might be persecuted. Paul does not say, if you live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you have a 30% greater chance. There's no statistic other than the 100% statistic where Paul is saying, if you do this, you will deal with the results of this kind of action. Jesus told his disciples in the world, they will have trouble. Definite article, and the same force is being used here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Now, why do you think that Paul is so intent on this? Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. He takes up a, a great deal of space in this short letter talking about this very issue. Why do you think that is? Why is this so important and so present on Paul's mind? I think there's two main reasons. First of all, it's because of what he had left Timothy there to do in Ephesus. He left them, Timothy and the other people who were with him, he left them there to do impossible work <laughs> in some ways, right? Establish churches, establish leaders, preach the gospel, minister to new converts, baptize disciple, counsel, all those things is all spiritual work and Paul knows that if Timothy is going to maintain faithfulness in these areas of work that Paul had given him to do then he is going to suffer persecution exactly like Paul had so Paul speaks not only from some kind of uh, educational experience as if I read about this once but this is life for Paul this is reality for Paul And so leaving his protege, Timothy, here in Ephesus, he knows that as Timothy faithfully executes his duties as an elder, as a church planter, as a pastor, he is going to deal with opposition. And Paul wants him to be strengthened and established so that he can do this work and not get knocked around every time something happens. That's one reason. I think another reason Paul is so intent is not only for Timothy's good, but for your good. Yes, this has immediate application. We see that pretty clearly. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes this way, so that you and I, year of our Lord, 2023, can read these texts, study these texts, and gain foundation. And help. And I think Paul knew in some degree that his words were going to outlive him, even if you continue in, in chapter 3 and you get into verse 16. I call this the Iwana verse because most of us learned it in Iwana. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So why does Paul write this way? So that you and I can be thoroughly equipped, complete. That means lacking nothing for every good work. And part of that good work means suffering for the cause of Christ. Now, if you're like me, there's probably been a question since we started this morning that's been rising up in your mind. And the question is, we read these texts, we see what Paul is saying, we see his example, but how do we apply this when you and I are not suffering in the same way that Paul and Timothy did? Is this just information? Do we, do we just read this and go, oh, well, that's nice for them, God really carried them through, but what do I do with it? How do you answer that question? What, what do we do with this? What do we do with 2 Timothy? There is such a comfort for me, and I, and I just want to share this with you. Looking at other people's examples, maybe it's like this for you, maybe not. But for me, looking at other people's examples has this way of strengthening my own confidence in what God is able to do, because I know there's nothing. There's nothing special about Paul. I mean, yes, he was an apostle. God used him in a unique way. But he's not some super Christian elevated above you. Same with Timothy. He was just a pastor. And if God does these things for them, he will do it for you. Whether you are suffering in this way or another way or not at all in this context, it is so Helpful and important that we read and understand these things. By the grace of God, we do not currently live in a place, in a time, where faith in Christ comes with the consequence of imprisonment or beating or execution or exile. Praise God for that. But you have to understand that for many people in the world, this is a daily reality right now. There are people this very moment weighing the options for how public to be with their declaration of faith because they know if it is made known, they will, not might, will be imprisoned, beaten, separated from family, or executed. This is reality in the world. So what do we do with this? There's three things that came to my mind, and they all start with the letter P because I'm a Baptist. And hopefully you can remember them a little bit better. So three things to do with these texts. One, prepare, principle, and prayer. Those are the three words. Prepare, principle, and prayer. Let me tell you what I mean. I want us to use these texts in the same way Paul intended them, as preparation. You may not be in a situation right now where you need to apply this in the same way that Paul is telling Timothy. But I promise you, that if you live a life of biblical faithfulness to God, there will be times when you are confronted with a decision, do I say what I know to be true or do I back off? And when you are in that moment, that is not the time to decide what you're going to do. You have to decide now. How are you going to respond to that situation, whatever that situation is? Now is the time to strengthen your weak knees to put your back brace on, to do what is spiritually necessary so that you are prepared to handle whatever the effect is of your living out biblical truth. Whether suffering for Christ takes on the form of ridicule or you lose friends or you lose family or you lose employment or you lose your life. This text stands. So use it. As preparation for the future. Second thing, I want us to see these texts in principle. I want us to see these texts in principle. So often, when we study the scriptures, we are looking for direct application. I want to know exactly what to do in this exact situation. I want chapter and verse for my unique circumstance. And I'm just telling you, that's not the best way to approach the Bible it's not wrong to look for answers don't don't hear me say that but if you are only satisfied if you can turn and go okay there it is you're going to frustrate yourself we need to see the teaching of scripture in principle Bill Arendt was a pastor that married Tiffany And I remember him saying on more than one occasion the Bible is not just a book of do's and don'ts, it is a book of great principle. And so seeing. The examples of what Paul did and how he instructed Timothy can be so encouraging. You don't need chapter and verse for every specific situation in your life, but you do need to know the principles, the themes, the teachings, the character of the Scriptures, so that when you find yourself in that situation, you know what to do. Because God gives you His Spirit, and He gives you godly wisdom, and you can apply those texts that you have learned in principle to the specific application that you face in the moment. So use it as preparation. Read these texts as principle. Thirdly, use these texts to motivate prayer. Maybe you do find yourself right now in a situation where living out your Christian convictions has got you in hot water. What should you do? Pray. Pray that God would give you wisdom. Pray that God would give you courage. Pray that you are not among those who shrink back, but you are among those who are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're not in that situation. I just got to say, don't leave here this morning embarrassed or guilty because you're not bleeding for Christ. But don't leave here ignorant of the fact that some people are. So what can you do? You pray for them. Go to the Voice of the Martyrs website. Get a prayer list for people who are daily being murdered for their faith in Christ and pray for them. Pray that God would rescue them, that he would give strength to them to endure under the most horrible kinds of suffering. That's your job as a Christian, to pray for one another. So use these texts to prepare your own heart, learn to see the Bible in principle, and let this motivate our prayer life as we hold one another up on this journey to glory. Let's pray. Father, once again, we are thankful. And we are thankful that your word doesn't avoid the hard topics, but that you have thought of everything. And I truly believe that your desire for your people is not that we be like leaves that are just blown around when the wind comes and go wherever the wind goes and have no foundation, no, no rock underneath of us. But I believe that your desire is that we be strengthened and established, that we be the kind of person who is rooted and grounded And that the word of God be such a part of who we are that no matter the circumstance, no matter what you bring us through, we have a foundation. So Lord, whatever form suffering for Christ takes in our life, whether it be very public or it be private, whether it be violent or whether it be calm, Lord, strengthen us. Help us to prepare for the days ahead Help us to lift up our brothers and sisters who are facing persecution around the world and help us to learn how to really read and understand your words so that we are equipped to handle whatever you bring to us. And we thank you for this. And we pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.